Hello, welcome to Utabia. Stephen Chicken here for the final podcast, uh, specifically talking about the 2020-2021 season. It's fun to say, isn't it? I'm going to miss saying 2020-2021. How about you, David Hartrick? Are you going to miss saying 2020-2021? No. No? <laughs> and let's move swiftly on. Good. Huddersfield Town season is over, and we should talk about the final game, but only a little tiny bit. Uh, yeah. Huddersfield Town drew two all at Reading. And uh, this is a very amusing game for me because we've uh, we've had fans, you know, I'm in a couple of chats with a few fans and uh, on WhatsApp and you're in them as well, Dave. And people were moaning throughout and talking about, how, you know, what a dreadful performance it was, lack of motivation. They could have put on a show final day, all of these things. And I was saying, look, it's the final day. Don't don't judge anything on this season based on the final day. And then last minute, up he pops Romani Edmonds Green uh, with the equaliser in the last minute. What did you make of the game overall, though? Um, I did, anybody who wants a little bit more in-depth, I did the final whistle show for Town. Um, And I just, I think it mattered, I felt it mattered more than you did. I think it was a a good opportunity to try and finish with a good performance. And I thought they were well on their way to that. I thought there was only one team in it until they conceded a penalty. And then... I wouldn't say they gave up, but it it just completely took all the wind out of the sails. And then by the time the second goes in, I think they just it was like, all right, well let's just try and get through to half time on damage limitation. It was a shame, really, because they started really, really brightly. There was only one team in it. You know, they well deserved that lead from Coroma's excellent free kick. Scott I had hit the post. And they were playing some lovely stuff, but you know, yet again, we just see that this this team is very, very fragile, and it doesn't take much just to completely knock them out of their stride, really. So, I don't know. My my overall feeling was, despite them getting the last minute goal, it just all felt like a bit of an opportunity missed. If I'm brutally honest, yeah, I I, I sort of felt like whatever happened, we weren't going to be. So it wasn't going to be a game that lived in the memory. Uh, and I think it turned out that way. It was good to see them get that goal late on. A uh, bit of an unexpected one, Ramani Edmonds Green coming off the bench, and uh, oh boy. I think um, I think the keeper was as surprised as as we all were. I think everyone was expecting mm. him to put it back across the box, and the keeper would sort of set up waiting for that, and he just sort of side foots it really quickly. Uh, nice nice hit actually, straight between the keeper's legs for for that equaliser. Yeah, it was a it was a very good little reverse ball from uh, Giannino Bacuna as well, player who you know. Let's be honest, we've had our we've had our complaints with, <laughs> um, but it was a it was a good ball from him, and I I think his ball caught the defence square, and mm. I think um, that little look across to his left from Edmonds Green just completely did the goalkeeper. He just wasn't expecting him to hit it at all, um, but it was a bit of a goal, sort of really befitting. <laughs> befitting the game really because it was all just a bit of a shrug a bit of a yeah fine well, this was this was the thing that sort of perplexed me a little bit in the second half when I was getting those messages from people saying they've given up because it, it I mean maybe it's again it's a watching on TV versus watching at home thing but it seemed to me that they were still going you know I agree that after the second goal they did sort of coast through to half time they looked a bit you know uh, di- you know a bit down after that they went behind um, but I thought second half they kept plugging away and they were the only team that looked like scoring and to be honest I, I felt they just about deserved that that goal Um 
Uh, particularly, but the, 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 I think the disappointment comes though, Steve, because Reading were, yeah. you know, they could, they may as well have had a Solera in one hand and be whistling for Dos San Miguel Porfavor with the other. That was that was the mm. issue. I mean, I think they were there for the taking, as was proved by that first twenty minutes, really. But then we know that Town struggled to break down teams when they're behind. Like we know that they, it was the same thing we've seen all season. Like they can put men forward, but they really struggle to break down teams that sort of just sit back and try and defend a lead. Um, and I agree that sort of Reading was sort of strolling through the game in attack, but in defence they were sort of doing their jobs. And I don't know. I just I, I didn't feel like we learned anything new, or that that anyone should have been going into that game expecting to learn anything new. I, I don't really get why you would go into that game thinking, well, this is going to be the one that changes my mind on the season ticket. Um, because I don't I, like it to mount a little bit of a defence. I don't think there were people like realistically thinking that, but I think it was more that. I think it was more that this was the first game, and I know it's a dead rubber, and I know it's the last game of the season, but it was the first game really to play with no pressure and to just not express themselves or anything like that, but to just just try and return to some of the principles from earlier in the season, and it was just all a bit flat. But even earlier, even earlier in the season, when they were in their good form, they often struggled to break teams down, though. So anyway, we'll, we'll... yeah, but then it's it's all still live, isn't it? You know, there's all at the end of the day, it was a game, it happened, it's yeah. been and it's gone. Yeah. No one's going to be talking about that game in ten years' time. Well, no Where one's... were you when Romani Edmonds Green scored the last minute equaliser at Reading? <laughs> no one's going to be talking about it in ten minutes time or in 10 seconds time because we should move on uh we've had the retained list uh it's a bumper podcast this week i think because we've got the season in review um but huddersfield town have, have kept us busy over the last couple of days with their retained list um so we've got 11 players going if you count the lone players we've got six who were meant to be out of contract who are going to be staying uh, at least as long as they can get the deal done for richard keogh that they want to get done uh, so to run through those who are staying, first of all, uh, Fraser Campbell has extended his contract, or in fact has signed a new contract, I should say. Uh, he's he's not taken an extension; it is a whole new deal. Um, Isaac Mbenza, Janino Bakuna, Alex Vallejo, and Romani Critchlow have all had one-year extensions. And they are in negotiations with Richard Keogh over a player mentor type role. Um, first of all, we'll, what, what were your thoughts on on the players they're keeping, Dave? Um, well, I think we're probably going to go through it player by player, aren't we? I think I can't really argue with anyone there keeping the Keo thing. I think we need to discuss separately. Yeah, um, we'll come to that in a moment. Should, should we start with uh, Romney Critchlow then? Yeah. I think with Critchlow, I think there's a talent there. I mean, everybody... I've talked about on this podcast before. I don't think he was at the level of Edmunds Green. I think he needs some more football. And I think keeping him for another year um, where you're sort of going to decide whether you really invest in him or... Um, or if it, you do give up on that project a little bit, it's probably a sensible thing to do because he's not going to cost you a fortune and he could be an option next season um, with the amount of centre-backs that's gone. So that was like, yeah, fine. Yeah, I get the impression, and we'll talk about Keo momentarily, but um, I get the impression the fact that they've let Schindler, Elphick, Stearman go. They've only got Saar and Edmunds Green. We know that is going to be a player mentor, um, hybrid role, and, and I suspect his his playing minutes will be fairly limited. Um, Romney Critchlow hasn't played since in the first team since January. 
and I get the sense that they they probably are looking at Critchlow and Keogh as sort of backup, backup kind of thing. And yeah. I look at that and I think they are going to sign one or two centre-backs. Um, yeah, it's a, it's definitely a position we expect them to recruit. And it's one of those positions I think we both expect them to recruit for the first team, not the squad yeah. as well. So I think it makes sense. I, everybody knows the hows and whys of Schindler going, um, as sad as it is. Um, like the Stearman and Elphick, I think Elphick is was obviously going to have to go because he's had a that's a big injury to come back from and town can't really afford to let him play as a you know get his eye in over the first five or six games i think the stearman one's interesting if i'm honest i i could have been sorely tempted to look at the stearman one properly i don't think he was on massive money but i think he was probably on i think the vibe i get is that he was he wasn't on huge money he was nowhere near schindler money but i think for a 34 year old center back as he would be at the start of the season he was on a reasonable amount um and and probably more than they would probably as much as they would like to spend on a on a first choice i think i think the thing is though i look at keo getting the sort of player mentor role and i look at stearman and i think well personally just personal preference i know who i'd be giving that role to out of those two if i'm brutally honest with you yeah i mean i think well let's get on to keo while we're talking about him because i think let's be honest i i sat in this podcast with you in january and i said i wasn't a fan of that signing and i think he's done better than neither of us expected um i don't think he's been incredible i think probably some of the some of the response has been a bit over the top but i can understand it because if if you're looking at that and thinking oh well they've signed him to continue being first choice center back as he was for the second half of this season then yes i would totally share that concern yeah they're doomed um but from from what i understand i think they are looking at him as more of a he's he's an option if they need him for the playing squad but i think they want him more for the behind the scenes side of things as we talked about and i think uh you know, I know that. Let's be honest; it's been in the news again. The 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 car crash he was involved in, and we're not going to get into the ins and outs of that. But uh, I know that that, in some people's eyes, reflects negatively on him. Uh, his involvement in on that, but um, he was captain at Derby County for for a long time. You know, he was a well respected player in the dressing room at Derby for a long time. Um, so I think if you're looking at a a player behind the scenes, you know, he I don't think he's He's not a daft lad, you know what I mean? He was a captain of a championship club for, for many years. Um, and I think, as I say, finances may have played a part in the decision between sort of him or Elphick or Stearman because we know that those three are all very vocal and very um, charismatic leaders who, who are a bit of a, an example on the training pitch, if nothing else. Yeah, I think um, I get the impression that, that Elphick wouldn't mind one more year somewhere. Um, that... That's the impression I get anyway. I don't know for definite. Yeah, right. Stearman, I think is. I think Stearman definitely wants to play, so that's probably another factor that's in there. Me and you have both noted with interest that he's not been coming out to warm up most half times. He's been in the dressing room, which Mm -hmm. we thought was quite interesting. Um, Obviously, learning a bit and possibly helping out a bit as well. So, but I, I would imagine, you know, he's 34 years old. He, he would be mad not to have another year or two somewhere and, and someone's going to get a very good centre-back, I'd say. But, yeah, I, I completely understand the logistics of it. I'm just I'm just not sure Keogh would have been my yeah. choice, I, if I'm brutally honest. I, I, and I do get the like, reaction. You know, I'm playing devil's advocate, really, to 
to be honest. Yeah, you know, like there's been people within the club themselves. Mark Devlin said on that interview with the HTFC family, was it? Was it that one? Mm. Um, you know, it wasn't the ideal situation to be signing him in January, etc. So it's, I, I don't think anybody in the club felt it was a perfect signing, if I'm brutally honest. Um, no, they just, the, the reason they signed him basically was because, not to go back over old ground, but they just needed at that point someone who was ready to hit the ground running and come in and play and who yeah they needed a body yeah they 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 needed someone who wasn't going to come in and need five games to get up to speed because they're not played for six months you know you can you can do that a little bit with they had to do it with Sonogo for instance um, or they had to do it with Vallejo they had to do it with Aarons and for the centre back such a crucial position they just needed someone who had already been playing and he was basically he was available he wanted the move up to the championship from League One um, and and you know he was sort of the, 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 the best stop gap option and I think I don't think the intention when they signed him was that he was going to play the whole second half of the season uh, and I think he basically he stayed there on on merit because I know the fans yeah. aren't keen, but he did have a, a good run of games at one point there. Yeah, and he he also provided a bit of stability next to Saar, which was was much needed because I think we both commented at the time that when they were going through their sort of revolving cast of central defenders, Saar was suffering dreadfully. He needed some a, a presence beside him to do a certain thing. So I just, as I said, I understand the logistics of it. I'm just I'm just not a I wasn't a fan of the original move, if I'm brutally honest with you. I think he's, as you said, I don't think he's done badly. We said on this podcast he's exceeded expectations and done absolutely fine. Um, but yeah, I'm just it's just one of them where it's it's like, well, all right. Mm. But I'll reserve my main judgment on it, if I'm brutally honest with you, uh, against recruitment. Because yeah. if Keogh starts 20 games next season, that's a disaster, I think, if I'm brutally I honest think if with he, you. I think if he starts more than about five, uh, yeah. something's gone wrong, to be honest, hasn't it? Yeah, so as long as they get one or two first-choice centre-backs, as long as Edmunds Green is now essentially in that in that first choice mix um, and like you say then you've got back up to the backup in Critchlow and Keo. as long as that ends up being a situation I think broadly fine yeah um, should, we, should we stick on the defence should we go through by position because we've yeah. had um, we've had El- Elphick and Stearman have gone as well and I think yeah as you say I think Tommy Elphick is keen to stop it my heart's hurt <laughs> he's spent 18 months getting back fit and um, yeah. you know he's I think he said he, he, you know, the the doctor who was working with him said that he's using him as like a case study because it's remarkable that at his age and with his injury he's been able to come back at all. And I think having done all that hard work, he will want to go and play if he possibly can. Um, and yeah. obviously wish him well. I know, you know, he didn't have the fans never really got on his side, but I think, you know, I think everyone respects the the figure he's been behind the scenes and after that injury wishes him well. Um, Richard Stearman uh, has... Just just briefly before you move on, if you go onto my Twitter for the next couple of days, you will see the GoFundMe for the Tommy Elphick <laughs> statue at the John Smith Stadium. Magic, yeah. I'm not, I'm not being bold, but I want it right outside the front door. <laughs> um, Richard Stearman will be going after 18 months at the club. He was brought in last January and um, at a time when they needed a centre-back and uh, Jan Gorenk Stankovic had come into the team and done well and then sort of dropped off and Stearman came in and just brought a bit a bit more experience, a bit more nous to the back yeah. line. And I, again, he's another signing who I don't think we were as down on as Keo, but I thought at the start of this season, there was a spell, sort of the first sort of half a dozen games where I would have said that Stearman was one of Town's best players. He was, you know, their yeah, first absolutely. or second best player in that first sort yeah. of throughout October, really. 
Yeah, and I think I saw one or two town fans slagging him off a bit yesterday, and I would say you're forgetting how integral he was in town staying up last season as well. Um, so, yeah, I think he, I think he's, I think he's done fine, really. You know, another one who's who got a bad injury, yeah, and is has not not recovered. So. It is what it is with Stearman, but I just I think from everything I'm told about Stearman and from people at clubs he's been at previously who tell me what a brilliant character he is and how he's essentially somebody told me he was effectively a player coach when he was about 23. Mm. <laughs> so I just you know I look at the character and I if money had been no object and circumstances were different maybe I Stearman over Keo for me, but it is what it is. Yeah, and Christopher Schindler of course. Um, we, <laughs> we could do a whole podcast. Um, I think maybe, Dave, we leave this to the takes, takes that chance, lads, because yeah. I think this is one that, that the fan voice needs to be heard. Uh, I don't think anyone's every, anyone needs telling uh, what a huge trigger he is, but obviously it's, um, it's sad, the circumstances of his departure, more than anything else. Um, he himself said it's sort of the worst case because he's gone out injured. He's gone out with, with um, behind closed doors and... Uh, I think that's not the ending that anyone would have wanted, unfortunately. He, he will be back. Um, you know, Phil Hodgkinson has said they'll bring him back as soon as they can uh, to when the fans are back and him and his family and he can say goodbye properly. Um, but uh, And and Hoggy's also invited him back for his testimonial in a couple of years as well. But, um, yeah, sad to see him go. It is, and I, I think um, he has been a pillar of this club for what has been probably the most dramatic five years of its life since they won the league three times in a row um so he's just a massive figure and i think from our point of view as you said i think it's perfectly apt to leave it to the takes that chance boys um to to chat about him and what he means to the club etc but it's just all that all that class and experience walking out the door Mm. if you look at it just from a purely playing side you think next season if he was staying, you know, if Town could have kept him or engineered a deal to keep him, he would definitely still be a first choice, wouldn't he? That's that's the reality. Yeah. So it's a shame. Yeah. It's a shame. Yeah, it is. Um, we'll, we'll stick with the, the goalkeeper um, while we're on the defence. Ryan Schofield is staying. Uh, obviously, he was on a long-term deal. But um, uh, Joel Pereira will head back to Manchester United and Jason Loitweiler is leaving the club. And I was slightly surprised on Loitweiler. I thought they might keep him even if just to have as a third option and you and I have talked a lot about the goalkeeper over the last uh, last week or so off air um, I think Schofield has a very conspicuous flaw and downside to his game I think he also has an upside that that people sort of overlook sometimes um, and his stats are comparable to Ben Hamer's in terms of goals conceded per 90 minutes and uh, he's actually doing better than Hamer in terms of saves but obviously he fails the eye test and um, you know he's got that weakness on crosses I think we've said though for all I'm sort of defending him I don't think he's as bad as people make out I think he can I think it's more a matter of confidence than technique because he has had runs of games where they have been putting those balls straight at him and he's dealt with them fine he's not had an issue Um, and I think I think it is more confidence than anything else but um i also think there's no shame for all them defending him there would be no shame in him 
going out for a League One loan, maybe, or to a, a bottom end championship club um, this season. Um, if they wanted to do that, I also could understand if they wanted to stick with him and and try and build his confidence up because they they did a really good job with on, with that with Ben Hamer last summer. Um, but the fact that they've let Lloyd Weiler go is interesting to me because it sort of suggests that that we're expecting at least one goalkeeper signing, and whether that will be a first choice or a second, you know, another number one, as they sort of called it last year with Schofield and Hamer, whether it's a backup to Schofield, who knows? I I think Schofield would benefit from somebody at the side of him who has played 200 games, if I'm brutally honest. I, I think we've defended Schofield and we can defend him to a point, but he's finished the season not particularly strongly. As you said, there are obvious weaknesses to his game. So I think the best possible thing to do would probably to be recruit a number one and have that situation you talked about where you have them competing really. But you need somebody, as I said, I think it needs somebody with a bit of experience just to help him and just to push him and just to show him that he can come through a crowd of players and collect the ball and etc etc so I think what we can't avoid here Steve is from about I mean I think I think the first time we really really noticed it was maybe the going all the way back to possibly the Wickham game where a team had literally targeted putting the ball right under his right under his crossbar and getting a, a man close to him now when your opposition analysts are doing that with your keeper and seeing him as a weakness you can't just you you've got to you've got to do something about it and very late in the season we noted in the commentary game where they'd moved uh, Sonogo back there's only just to help him out i i think if you're having to do that then obviously you really need to think about that position so yeah it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to get get another number one in there and I think I've said it before goalkeepers I think are quite easy I think there's a lot of them there'll be a lot of opportunities to recruit uh, in that position so and it's not going to cost the earth and you can get somebody who can do a decent job so it seems one of the easier points of recruitment to me if I'm honest yeah he's been very up and down I would say he's had he had a good streak and a bad bad streak I think he's he's quite a streaky keeper and that's why I say it's confidence because he does have those uh, those those ups and downs. We'll move on. You can't forget the the specific things he does really, really well, mm. really, really well. And it, the problem is, a lot of people choose to completely ignore them and focus on the things he it. doesn't do. My sort of attitude, and I think we said it before, is you can teach um, positioning on crosses. You can teach confidence sort of you know you can build players confidence mm. up and get them to come through a crowd I don't think you can teach reflexes and mm. and he's excellent at that and there have been a couple recently that have got past him that shouldn't um, most notably at Blackburn uh, where he had an absolute mare but um, yeah it's uh, he's his stats for, for making saves particularly sort of point blank range saves he's uh, he's incredible at them um, we'll move on the fullbacks I think sort of not really massive surprises um, that D'Amico Dehaney or, or Jaden Brown have gone. Uh, leaves Pippa and Toffolo. Aaron Rowe can obviously play there. I think I prefer him as a wing-back than a full-back, but I think it's evident. The fact they've let Dehaney in particular go, despite the fact they've, they've played him a fair bit this season, uh, sort of tells you they're going to bring in new full-back cover. 
Yeah, I think the thing is about Brown and Dehaney, do not be surprised or one if one or both goes on to have a very decent career somewhere. I think particularly with Jaden Brown, Jaden Brown played a lot last year and last season. He's had limited opportunities this year. You saw his frustration when he came on and got the red card at Derby. I, I he, he wants to play football. He wants to go somewhere where he's going to be very close to first choice left back doesn't he and Dehaney I, I I think Dehaney has a few weaknesses in his game a bit like Schofield really but he also does some things really really well so yeah I they're, they're definitely going to recruit they're not going to leave those areas and as I said I, I think both players could go on to have quite decent-ish careers somewhere else to be fair yeah I mean we know that that Pippa and Toffolo were you know they're clearly the first yeah they're the two they're the two players out of this whole team you look at the two fullbacks and you say well you don't yeah, need to, you don't need to replace them. them you just need backup if they're fully fit, this this is the thing it's a slightly difficult recruitment job because if either of them are fully fit they're playing <laughs> so yeah it's it's slightly you know if you were Jaden Brown or Domenico Dehaney I think it's pretty obvious to you that you need to go somewhere yeah. else to to get some football yeah uh, right, we number six. We've got Alex Vallejo has signed a new deal, um, Good. or extended his deal, I should say. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's the one we all wanted to see when we did the poll yep. of the fans. Uh, I think he got like over ninety percent renew. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that is proper a proper footballer. Yeah, that proper, is proper proper footballer. That was the one I was sort of looking for and was a bit nervous about because um, you know I think there are a few players on this list who we sort of knew were going to go and a couple that we sort of knew were going to stay. But he was one I was sort of I wasn't sure what they were going to do, and I'm delighted that he's staying. Yeah, there's there's nobody else. The only person who does. Alex Vallejo's job in that squad is Alex Vallejo, so I'm very glad he's he's staying. Now, I think I've got him here as sort of the backup number six to Jonathan Hogg, but you and I have talked before, we both like him as an eight mm. in certain games. Yeah. I think the thing about Vallejo is I think he is he is a player who you play in different roles depending on the opposition because I think he I think he's perfectly adept at playing a bit deeper and being a bit more of a quarterback but we've also seen him play as like a true central midfielder and sit in the middle and provide that platform for others and knock it about a bit um and I think that's why he's so vital in that squad I don't think he's a six and I don't think he should be seen as back up as a six and I think that's an area town need to look at if I'm honest because Hoggy's hip is not going to last a full season again. He's going to have his six to eight games minimum out at some point. Um, and I think they need... Vallejo doesn't do what Hogg does. No, he hasn't got his he hasn't got his aggression. He hasn't got his pace. He does a different role. So, yeah, I, th- I think... I don't know whether they think Scott High, with his energy, could drop mm-hmm. in there with a few more games. But I think... I think High wants to play as an eight as well, if I'm brutally honest. So I think that's a position they need to look at. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. I think Vallejo does, particularly with Carolite and Cohen, uh, he's, mm. he's gone back uh, to Ajax and, and Alex Pritchard obviously has, has gone as well. That's the least surprising out of all of them. Um, but I think they do lack quality in the final third. You know, Lewis O'Brien, with, you know, everyone knows I'm a huge fan of Lewis O'Brien and uh, I think he's been, I think the, he's really brought on his attacking game in the second half of this season uh, which is something since sort of midway through last season he's been saying I know I don't offer enough in attack I think he does now Uh, I think he's he's really upped his game there he said he's been looking at Ilkay Gundogan and what he does and um, yeah I've been really impressed with him second half of this season which we'll come on to in a bit Um, but uh, 
but I think they don't have that that player who, and I say it all the time, but the player who can spot passes that no one else will see and pull them off. And yeah. I think Bakuna is meant to be that player. He he hasn't been though. Um, He's not. No, and and Iting definitely is that player. And I think Vallejo can be too. And we've only seen him sparingly at number eight. I would have been interested to see if he hadn't got that concussion and missed so long. Whether Town yeah. might have been uh, better, much would have had a much better end to the season. Carlos Carlos Gorbrand certainly thinks so. You know, he he talked about sort of the three injuries that caused them to to have to co- constantly go back to the drawing board and it was Josh Caroma obviously uh, Rolando Aarons because he sort of came in and was just getting his feet under the table and then got injured and they had to sort of go back to the drawing board and work out what they were going to do without wingers and then Alex Vallejo he said you know he was you know he helped them get control of the ball um, at the time when they were playing the more sort of the more long ball safety first style he was a key part of that and he felt that they they struggled to play that way without him um i think he has a lot of different utilities but i would like to see him getting into the final third more yeah i don't i don't disagree with any of that to be honest with you i think town have a lot of players who do very specific things and that's why we were really pleased to see Vallejo coming because I think he can play in different ways and against different midfields. And I think that's this is just another reflection of the fact that Town need a bit more versatility and people who can do a bit more of everything, if I'm honest. He's also super consistent. I think you're never going to get yeah. a, an 8 or 9 out of 10 out of him, but you're never going to get a, a 4 either. Um, no. So, yeah. Um, Giannino Bakuna extended for another year. And um, I think... I think fans have sort of already cottoned on that they've probably done that to see if they can get some resale value out of him. Um, I think that that seems to be the, the popular theory. And to be honest, uh, I think that's there's probably some truth in that. Um, we should probably talk about him and Isaac and Benz as a pair for that reason, because I think probably the same is true of both of them. And um, yeah, I think... It's a gamble because if you can't shift them, you know, they, they had it with Pritchard and Diokabi this year where they've had players on the wage bill that they just haven't been able to, to shift even though they wanted to in, in January. Well, they did get rid of Diokabi, but, you know, Pritchard's been sitting there earning a wage um, for, for not very much uh, over the last six months. Um and that's not a dig at him, but it it, is, it has been costly for ten. No, it's reality. Yeah. yeah. So I think they wouldn't have taken that risk if they weren't happy to have Bakuna and Benza as squad players at the very least for next season. Um, I feel like Bakuna might be more of a gamble than Benza. Yeah. Um, I I think I I'm not I'm nervous about this strategy <laughs> because I. It's going to be another funny transfer window, I think. There are a lot of clubs... The Championship wasn't great last year. There are a lot of clubs who want to recruit quite heavily. A um, lot of ins, a lot of outs, and I'm just... A lot of shaking it, it all about. Ma- yeah. It makes me worry that one or the other could get a little bit lost in the shake-up. And, I mean, I think with Mbenza, I think you've seen he can play well, and again, he does a specific thing pretty well, which is... Uh, and I think Corbin talked about it, didn't he? His dead ball delivery has been better than anybody else in that squad. But again, he's so patchy. He's so streaky. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think with Bakuna, I don't want to say I've given up on him, but he just, everybody on who listens to this knows how much he annoys me because me. he's all the talent in the world and, you know, often not the application. And I think if there's an opportunity this summer to move him on, I think you just, you, you have to really. I think he's, 
I think he's just uh, he's almost a bit of a totem for something else if I'm brutally honest and I just think yeah he they would be better off with him not in that squad but you know I can make a case for Mbenza if if yeah. nobody comes in for Mbenza and they have to keep him I think that's one you look at and go oh, yeah that's fine yeah fine yeah I mean seven assists this year a lot of them yeah. will have been set pieces five goals as well five goals so yeah. I mean he's he's contributed I I know that like I know there's I know he's had that dip in form late in the season. Uh, he's not really been any good since January. But Carlos Gorbran has pointed out he has been playing through a similar issue to Pippa since about, I think it was end of February, sort of beginning of March. He's had uh, the same sort of groin issue uh, where it's sort of not getting worse, but it's removed a bit of explosive um uh, you know the the explosiveness out of mm. his game, which obviously he as a winger is is crucial. Um, but uh, I think probably even considering that he's not been fantastic over the last few months, uh, we'll see where we get with him. I think he's. I think, as I say, almost for the set piece deliveries alone, he's, he's worth have worth having because no one else in that side can cross worth a damn as it, no. as it stands at the moment. So the thing about Bakuna is, I know people. I know we've made that case for Mbenza there for staying, and pe- there are going to be Bakuna fans on this podcast who are sort of screaming at us. Yeah, but Bakuna got. I think did he get seven goals? Yeah, there's someone who um, there's someone who always accuses me of having an agenda against Bakuna, um, yeah. which. To be, fair, I mean, if he plays well, I'm I'm more than happy to say he's he, he's played well. You know, he's, we have done as well. Yeah, it's not like we we picked holes apart in games where he's played well. It's the fact that there are those games where you come off and you feel like he's barely lifted a leg. <laughs> that's that's the issue, and I think like. I can't really put this any other way, Steve, but I think it's important to remember that it's not Janino Bakuna's fault that he's kept getting picked this year either. <laughs> exactly. So he's he's been he's played so much football this year that obviously you have a far higher test sample than pretty much anybody else in that squad really. Um, and he's constantly and coming I, under scrutiny, is the thing. Yeah, yeah. And the problem is, the reason he's constantly coming under scrutiny is because I come back to it, everybody knows what he can do. Everybody knows the talents there. We were. I go back to when they got relegated out of the Premier League, and we were really excited to see him in the Championship because he, he clearly had it. You know, he clearly had every trick in the book, and he's. It feels there's no getting away from the fact it still feels like he picks and chooses his moments rather than just giving his all every single game. And we know there's interest in him, or there there certainly has been historic interest in him. And I think that if the chance comes, then then Town really need to to take it and get some money for him. Really, yeah. And to those who say and have an agenda. <laughs> I've given him a six or above twenty-two times this season, a five or below twenty times this season. So, anyway, and, I mean, is there is there any is there any statistic right you could pull that's more indicative of Janino Bakuna than you literally giving a six or above twenty-two times and a five or below twenty times? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that just that completely sums the lad up. Yeah, exactly. I think if if he ends up as a squad player, his versatility, the fact that he's always fit. Um, and I think sometimes he gets, he does pick and choose his moments. And, uh, but I think when he's on his game, he gives more than almost anyone else. Like that was one of the things that mm. made him catch the eye at the end of the Premier League season. The the undeceiver was half the time he was the only player who looked interested. And there have been, mm. I think, was it Preston this season 
where they, they put in a which you think is one of the worst performances of the season if not the worst he was the only player for the last 15 minutes who was still running around trying to make tackles and try to sort of make things work and none of it came off but he was actually still at it at least and yeah, he's uh, he's a funny one, but I think if you have him as a squad player who's versatile and you're not able to shift him this summer and, and he ends up sort of being sort of your bench player who comes on as your second substitute, you know, 30 times in the season, then then I'm I'm fine with that. But I think that midfield needs massive work because you've got uh, Pacuna, Holmes, High, Hog, Vallejo, O'Brien, um, and that's before you go into the likes of Matty Daly, Josh Osterfield, Brahima Diara, but... <sighs> That does not scream upward mobility to me, particularly if Lewis O'Brien leaves. Right. Uh, I think they they really need two um, first-choice signings for that midfield, to be honest, because um, mm. I think Holmes is a, a useful option and not he's had a poor season since he's arrived. There's no two ways about it, but we've, we've had our theory on that, the fact that he's played everywhere except his best position this year, pretty much. Um, but you know he's always going to give his all and, and he's a, a good option to have. Scott High is on his way up. We don't really have huge amount to say about Scott High but he you know he doesn't look he doesn't look out of place he doesn't look incredible either um I think it's fair to say um Bakuna we just talked about Vallejo we talked about Hogg we know about Jonathan Hogg we know what he brings and yeah and then you've got if O'Brien goes you've got that that big that's a massive massive gap that needs filling but I think even mm. if he stays they need recruits because that midfield is <laughs> I like individual parts of it, but it's never quite seemed to work this year. No, I I think that I, I don't I don't think we should just take our chickens for granted that Lewis O'Brien is definitely going. But you know we know there is going to be a lot of interest, and he is a fabulous young footballer, um, and I'm sure he's very ambitious. You're right when he does go, it looks quite stark in terms of of quality, really. So. The problem with that that midfield position is they need quality and they need bodies, I think. Because I quite like Scott High and I think there's a footballer there. But he's another one who you look at and you think the ideal scenario is that he, he plays a season's worth of football somewhere else and comes back ready for the first team, exactly as they did with Lewis O'Brien. Yeah, he had, he had the first half of the season at Shrewsbury and from what I gather, he, start, he started the season really well and then the new manager mm, came in. and change of manager killed it, didn't yeah, he? Didn't he, yeah, the change of manager, the, the new manager but basically just started picking all the older players and sort of just ditched mm. the young players uh, and he ended up sort of out because of that through sort of no fault of his own, so... Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they do with him and and Matty Daly for next I just, season. I, I think if you're go- if you're serious about Scott High, fifteen minutes off the bench every other game doesn't do him any good next yeah, season. That's the, that's the problem. So I think you have to look at his development a different way. Yeah, I feel like with those existing midfield options it's not i i think they probably need sort of one more backup player and they need two first choices um yeah and i don't disagree yeah i I feel like i've said it before but i feel like that's the one area of the pitch where i would i think there's a lot of areas like the backup fullbacks or a centre forward or a goalkeeper or even maybe one of the centre backs if they're looking to sign a couple of centre backs you could get an up and comer from League One or a backup player from League mm. One who is sort of you know got you know 100-200 games under his belt and is willing to come and just sort of be a better backup option than some of the youngsters they've had this season but I feel like the central midfield that those first choice players I think I'm finding it hard to think it it doesn't have to that I have to, I have to think it has to be a Premier League loan to be honest because the quality that you get 
that you need for that that they need is almost impossible to find in League One and almost impossible to find on a budget in the Championship. And I think their best chance of getting someone for that position, for, and they did it with Aaron Moy, was on loan from Man City. Trevor Chalabas was on loan from Chelsea. Carol Eitan from Ajax. Emil Smith-Rowe from Arsenal. That's where those players come from. And I think they have to do the same again this summer. Yeah, I don't disagree with that, Towns long-standing creativity problem is not going to be solved by anybody who's at the club there right now because we we have we have the evidence to prove that so yeah i think you're exactly right center forward uh danny ward obviously on a long-term deal fraser campbell has renewed his deal but yaya sonogo and umanias will leave at the end of their short-term uh contract so campbell a new deal uh, it's another year with the option of another year and despite the fact that he's another one who'll be 34 at the start of the season uh, doesn't look like he's slowing down to be fair in terms of what he's offering on the pitch and I think some fans will not be super keen on that but I think if Campbell is there to do a certain role then I think that's a good a good keep yeah I don't disagree I, th- I feel a little bit the same as I do with Keo. I think if he if he's starting games regularly next season then as you said it's hard to see the upward mobility but would I want him in that squad as both an influence on those around him and as an option to come and help see a game out with 20 minutes to go or to try and get something yeah I, th- I think a- absolutely fine absolutely fine and I think he's he's very happy at the club isn't it I think he's very it's way, very yeah. clear that he's he's very content so I think it's a decent option and I think that he gets maligned because he doesn't score enough I'm not going to make a case that he scores uh, enough I think you you want your forward to you want your forward to score goals and that's the reality and he's I mean what's he finished with for the season is it seven seven he's got 36 starts which you know I'm a I'm a big advocate for Fraser Campbell but even I would say for your starting centre forward that's that's not enough that's it's just not enough but that completely writes off all the other work he does and he does again it's that thing of he does a specific thing really really well he he's an absolute nightmare for defenders and fullbacks because he doesn't give them a moment so yeah i think i think it's a good keep i think it's a good keep if the circumstances are right i think again it's a position we expect them to recruit for and i think we sort of know who's coming in don't we? <laughs> i think we can talk <laughs> be i think we can talk about it yeah i mean jordan rhodes is expected to sign um Bar some some sort of unforeseen hitch, I think it's probably the worst kept secret in football since Rolando Aaron signed in January. Um, that that Jordan Rhodes will will almost certainly be coming back. I think you and I are quite unconvinced, <laughs> Dave. I, I'm. I, it's not that I'm unconvinced. I just. I think. The, I think the thing is with Jordan Rhodes is we've seen a lot of him over the last five years, and you can always make the case that, yeah, but he hasn't been first choice at these clubs, and it's difficult coming off the bench. But the the flip side to that is, yeah, but why hasn't he been first choice, and yeah. why has that been his role? And I think that I think coming back to town may suit him, but he can't. He can't do the Campbell thing of you know the the really high press closing closing defenders down. He is just a finisher. So the problem is Town have got a long-standing creativity problem uh, from both out wide and centrally, and they're signing a bloke who is just a finisher. They've got to feed him. They've got, if they're going to get anything out of him, they've got to solve the other problem. And yeah, I I don't think the thing is you look at Campbell Ward and Rhodes. 
and that doesn't look a bad three on paper, but one of them has to get, if Town are going to be upwardly mobile and get themselves into mid-table, the, the issue is that one of them has to get between 12 and 18 goals next season. And hand on heart, honestly, I think Ward could do it. I'm not sure whether Rhodes could do it, and Campbell definitely can't. <laughs> So that's where it feels slightly, okay, we we need to see what... I think the thing about Rhodes is you've got to make your judgment when you see the bits that are placed around him um, because he is, as a striker, he is so dependent on being fed. He's not a striker who creates and chases and harries. He literally, he wants to be fed so he can apply the finish. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I'm quite quite interested how it drives recruitment in other areas because, like, for a start, I think if you're playing with Rhodes, you've got to play with at least one proper winger, not an inverted winger a proper winger to feed him I think it's interesting that they are the play, and I know that a lot of this will have been um, availability rather than and and wanting to play change to that style of play that they were able to do after Sonogo came in but I think it's interesting that they have continuously since Corbrand's arrived gone for strikers who are just there to put the ball in the net so Mm. whatever you think about Ward his big strength is his finishing stats whatever you think about Rhodes his big strength at least historically, has been his finishing. That's why he got Mm. so many goals, despite the fact he offers absolutely (laughs) nothing else on the pitch other than than applying the the finish. Um, And I think they've consistently gone for those players, which is interesting um, because you would have thought that sort of the, you know, the the Carlos ball and the high octane and the high pressure and the the building from the back and the the possession style, they would want more of a complete forward. But um, it does seem like they just want a finisher up top there. Kieran Phillips is a, is a similar kind of player. Um, but I think it's evident looking at the XG and we've been looking at that. You've been saying this since day two of the season, I think, Dave, that they just aren't creating enough chances. And, and that has been the issue more than the finishing this season is, you know, that if you look at the, the XG or the number of goals they've scored, it's on either count, it's about a goal per game. And when the defence is as poor as it's been that's obviously not enough and there's been lots of games second half of the season where they haven't scored at all um so they do but you wonder if if you wonder if they're looking at it from the point of view of we don't create enough that's a long-term issue so what we want is somebody who is more reliable with what is created for them and yeah. that's that's a valid that's genuinely a valid way of thinking about it thinking that you'll you'll just get a higher return from that player than anybody else you've got there but i think you've got to solve both problems Absolutely. um i i wouldn't be surprised if there was another maybe another another Josh Garoma type another they look for an, or at least try to develop what they've got somebody sort of else Thomas, into another yeah, yeah into a, into an inverted winger so that they've got more of a threat because I mean we'll talk about Karoma set when we do a little bit separately but he he would have made a massive difference and he would have effectively been your striker with Campbell doing what he did for Grant which yeah. is basically chasing harassing trying to create space for him Jordan Rhodes can't do that I think that's the point of interest for us isn't it Jordan Rhodes just can't do that and open those avenues up so we'll see <laughs> yeah we'll see um yeah Danny Grant is the other one that that we've really not, well we've not seen at all he, he was I think intended yeah. to play in that uh in the FA Cup game and then he got injured in sort of the final training session we've not seen him since uh but he is can't really pass the judgment camera no really. we can't at all but he 
when we did the scout and he likes to play on that left side and cut inside I think Sober Thomas does as well although interesting we've, we've mostly seen him on the right recently but I think maybe that's you know uh, needs must rather than anything else because Mbenza's not been fit Rolando Aarons is left footed um, so you could go with him on the left Garoma on the right and then you've got the two natural sided players um, but then I think you're losing a lot with Josh Garoma playing him on the right um, I, I much prefer him on the left but as you say you then want I agree it doesn't have to be all symmetrical and I think you do want an Mbenza type on the right if, if you're playing Garoma on the left so it will that's, be interesting th- but th- this is where I go back to the midfield because they're just not getting yeah. enough out of the midfield yeah that's that's the thing they, they create so little centrally that we always talk about the wing and it's it's like no you've got to their, their best moments it's no it, they're absolutely no coincidence that their best moments this season were when Carol Lighting was at his best yeah. absolutely no coincidence whatsoever so you've got to get someone of that quality doing that sort of job in but I just I think if we go on to talk about the wide options a little bit I wouldn't be surprised to see them get somebody to play over on the right because it feels like they have this sort of plethora of wing options now like you know Thomas Grant Coroma etc but I do think they could benefit from a proper a proper winger on the right hand mm. side we don't know what's happening with Mbenza yeah if Mbenza goes then I think Aaron's to- Aaron's you, you can't rely on his fitness necessarily with his track record and I think Thomas and Grant are both up and comers I think they're both going to need a bit of time and I Mm. think they were both signed with the expectation that they would need a bit of time to um, to adapt to playing at this level. So I agree and with to- you. Thomas is definitely a project you stick with. I, I, I really like, like what Thomas. I've seen I, him, yeah. Yeah, and I, I like his attitude. We see him in warm-ups and ever. We, we've seen him in games he hadn't been involved in, that he's in the ground. He sits there and watches the warm-up. He's very into it. He's very into the whole... You can tell there's a young man there who wants to have a proper career in professional football. Can't comment on Grant at all. But the the thing is, they are development players. You know, ultimately they aren't. You can't if you're going to play with Jordan Rhodes. You can't really supplement that with sort of Josh Caroma who wants to come inside and score one side and a development player on the other. But the the one of the players I come back to is Aaron's and. I think without sounding too harsh, I know he's had his problems with injuries and the the transfer took forever, etc. But there really needs to be a little bit more from him because even when he has been fit, we've not really seen it yet. And next season, he really needs to step up to the plate a little bit more because I know he's not played much football and I know he got injured again and etc. etc. But he's going to have a full pre-season here and he's going to have his best chance to have a proper run at some point next season, potentially right from day one. He really needs to sort of grasp that opportunity for me. Yeah, me too. And Aaron Rowe is, of course, the other the other player who can play on the wing. Um He's capable of brilliant things, um, yeah. but he's very inconsistent. I don't. The thing about Aaron Rowe is I don't want him to become. Uh, I don't want Bakuna to go and Rowe to become Bakuna in that you can play him at fullback either sides and you can play him at wingback either side and you can even play him wide on a front three at either side because sometimes your versatility kills you and I would like to see Aaron Rowe being used as a little bit of a specialist, a bit like you, if I'm honest. Yeah, and Sonogo and Nias uh, on the way out, I think. Um, you were slightly surprised, weren't you? You felt like it was one or the other. Yeah, um, I think 
I think for it's not beyond the realms of possibility to have four striking options, proper striking options, and I think that, like we've just said, I I don't I, I think you want, <laughs> without sounding harsh, I think you want Campbell to be the fourth of those options, unless it's mm. a specific game where you want somebody to really press and push that defence back. So I thought they might keep one or the other, but Nias, I think. It is probably once a decent wage, and it came in freak injury. I understand that because it is a punt. Let's be honest, Steve. It is. It is a bit of a punt. But Sonogo, I, <laughs> I think it's been really disappointing since he's come in. I just don't think he's done anything like enough. He he's he's held the ball up a bit and he's he's fought for a bit, but. That penalty is the great sliding doors moment, isn't it? That's Cardiff, that's the yeah. thing. He's just he's just not done enough since then. I mean, if I was to say to you, do you remember that really clear cut chance he missed? Yeah, you can't really because there isn't any because he's he's just not got himself into those positions. No. So I think he does. I, I, th- I completely support that. Really, I think he's done a very specific job, and I think he. I think he was worth bringing in just for those games in March, sort of the pragmatic stuff. Yeah, yeah the Cardiff QPR, Sheffield Wednesday, yep. Brentford. Those games, I think, was worth bringing him in just to you know they got at least a point out mm. of all of those games, and I think it was worth bringing him in just for that. But I said, I think last week or the week before, I feel like he has served his purpose now. Yeah, um, and I think I could make a stronger case for keeping him if we were having another nine subs. You know, nine man bench with yeah. five subs next season because I think there's room on a bench like that for a specialist, for you know, a big man who you want to do a specific job. But I think with a three subs from a seven man bench, I would find it hard to very difficult to make a case for him. So I can understand why they've let him go. Striker's got to score. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said it about Campbell last season. I said it about Campbell this season. You can make a case for everyone else, but I think you're right. Sonogo did do all right in that spell. The and... the, the stat with Sonogo that I dug out couple of weeks ago was they barely conceded any goals when he was in the team but they didn't score any they barely scored any either so which is why i yeah. think he served his purpose you know against your cardiff brentford qpr he served his purpose um but uh but it's, wasn't nine, offer it's nine games as a striker nine yeah. games as a striker in the championship and no goals yeah. i mean I'm not saying this, I'm not damning him with fake praise or anything like this because we really like him. But all the fans that don't like Danny Ward, even Danny Ward's got a better record than that from starts. So, yeah. The one thing I would say on Ward, actually, as we've just touched on him, is I do expect a lot more from him yes, next season. Yeah. I, I do. One of the reasons I won't write him off is because I think over the last couple of weeks of the season, you've seen he's he is getting back to trusting his body, and he got that goal. And I think I think that goal was far more important than people realise mentally to take into the summer. And I, I just think he will be a bit of a different option next yeah. year. And I think, to be frank, I think he'll be a better player. Yeah. I mean, I mounted a massive defence of him and went on a bit of a a rant against his critics last week, but I totally agree. Like, I think I've defended him because I think the criticism has been unfair because he's been injured. Um, And I don't think his problems this season have been necessarily his fault. um, No. But if he's fit next season, then he has to be scoring and he will, you know, we will (laughs) criticise him as much as anyone else if that doesn't happen. 
I, I would have loved to have seen a fully fit Danny Ward playing as a striker with a fully fit Josh Caroma next to him and with a fully fit Carol Lighting feeding yeah, them both. You know? I, I, I genuinely think that would be another six, seven points on the board for town. <laughs> I really do. But anyway. Uh, right. We need to do a season review, but we're already over the hour mark, Dave. Well, we're not, to be fair, we're not doing a podcast next week because you're having a much deserved week off. So you're having a bumper one this week. So uh, shut your chelping. <laughs> yeah. So I think uh, BBC Radio Leeds did a nice job of going through sort of the highs and lows at the moment of the of the season. Uh, and I'm sure we'll refer to a few games as well. Um, but uh, Dave, uh, can you give me your first negative out of this season, please? <laughs> uh Right, where do I start? Let me just go through the list. Folds over many sheets of A4 paper in comic style. Um, I think for me, the there's a, there's a few different lows, if I'm brutally honest. There's a lot of very obvious ones. The the Norwich game, the, the Blackburn game, the first Bournemouth game. Um, but I keep coming back to, I know a lot of people keep telling me that the Wickham game was the worst result of the season. I don't think it was because I don't, I think Wickham are just a really, really good League One side who came up and just gave their all. And at the end of the day, Town were the exact right team for them to catch cold. But I know I've talked about it before, but I just think that Preston game where... I think that is the one game this season where genuinely I think Town have been beaten before the game has kicked off. There was just... There was so little belief. There was so little willingness to try anything there was so little there's just nothing in that team they they it was like a stiff breeze would have blown them over and gone one nil up and it was a three nil defeat that I think could have been as bad if I mean if they had been playing Norwich that weekend it could have been double figures and it came off the back of you had the Wickham game then you had the Borough game where Schofield made the mistake and they lost. Then you have that real outlier, which is the second half of the Swansea game, where everything just goes mad. But then they follow that up with a really awful performance against Derby. And it, I mean, it was awful, Steve. I remember podding after that game and we were like, it was terrible. And it was like, right, OK, what's your response here? What's your response? What have you got? And it was just nothing. And that, for me, was a real low light of the season, if I'm honest. Yeah, I, I would uh, I would agree with that. I think my sort of big negative is less sort of game based and is is more what we've sort of touched on already, just the the lack of chance creation. Um, and I know that we we almost <laughs> I think we've almost switched roles here, Dave, because midway through the season I was saying the defense is the biggest issue, and you were saying that if they get more in attack, it helps the defense. And I feel like we've sort of swapped roles now because you're <laughs> lambasting the defensive record and I'm I'm saying and talking about the attack but I think they've they brought in Corbrand to try and you know improve their attacking fortunes and I think the first half of the season it very much felt like well if you score two we'll score three and that completely got lost and look, obviously injuries were a massive massive part of that you know when I looked at the numbers and Harry Toffler made this point on a pre-match show a preview show recently but when you look at sort of Towns winningest 11 which I, I put together um they have generally done pretty well when they've had seven of those at least seven of those players available um mm. but when they've had six or fewer they've been pretty abysmal you know they've, they've barely got a win um when they've been without those players 
But even when they've had those players available, their chance creation has just not been high enough. You know, they've just not mm. been creating enough chances in games. And that was disappointing for me because I think we were sort of, the start of the season, we, I set up a jokey website, oh, Um And I think we sort of, we talked at the start of this year, we wanted to see that trend line going up and up and up throughout the season. And unfortunately, we just haven't. Um, no. You know, even when they had a lot of players available that that needle just wasn't moving really and i think that is again where we go back to talking about quality players we talk about needing more creation from the midfield more contribution from the midfield um we talk about you you, you know you've mentioned when item was at his best that was when they were scoring a lot of goals i think there's a lot of truth in that um and yeah that they've not created enough from set pieces either like when we got to they had a little run sort of over christmas where they suddenly scored a load of goals from set pieces and then it just dried up again altogether and it's only recently that they've sort of come back again um so i think in all aspects of the attack they've been a letdown this year and they've played some lovely stuff on their day but overall it's just not quite been enough no and to put that into perspective if you look down the season's results and you think would scoring a few more goals have made a massive difference you look at games early on like the Rotherham game where they got the last minute goal having absolutely I mean it was the Alamo second half wasn't it um you look at say the Preston home game where Preston went 2-1 up, that that game was still there for Town and they couldn't do it. Both games against Bristol, uh, where if Town could have just got something out of the game, it's it's not just about chance creation, it's about the quality of chances. You you never sit, we never come away from games thinking, I can't believe they missed that sitter, because they don't create sitters. Yeah. That's that's the thing. It's it's a long-standing issue. It goes it goes back to the Premier League. They've had the exact same issues all the way along and this summer that really is for I mean I hate the term but if you want to call it Carlos ball if anybody wants that to return that is the main issue they have to have to solve because the reason he had to go pragmatic to get those points to sort of get them to crawl over the line is because they weren't they weren't converting their chances. That run from January, you know, losing two one to Reading, two nil to Watford, one nil to Millwall, two one to Bristol City. Uh, the home draw with Stoke, which was a pretty dreadful game they could have lost. They'd loot and game away, which they were lucky to come out of with a point, to be frank. And they Toff was sent off and they hit the post late on. Then losing to Wickham, losing to Middlesbrough. It's just... It, it really has been a drudge this back end of the season and that chance creation has been a huge, huge part of it because you've if you score two goals against Huddersfield Town, 90% of the time you win. Mm. That's that's the reality and that that can't continue. That I, I, can't continue. Well, if you're scoring one goal against against Huddersfield Town, you're going to get at least a point Something half the from time. The game, yeah. Yeah. You know, they, yeah, They've had an XG of less than one 28 times mm. this season out of 46 league games, which is, you know... It's, you can't go on like that and to to let some people know how the sausage is made we said after the Brentford game the 3-0 we gave town a quite a big kick in after that game if you remember and the reason we did it is we said we want to set a baseline so from here we can now talk about all the positives as things start to change because they were going into that slightly easier run of games and 
that's what happened. They then they got the Friday night win against Forest. They drew with Rotherham, but then they got the away at Swansea and the one 0 against Derby. And if you remember at that point, Steve, we were talking about them passing more. And yes. We were talking about them crossing more. And well, that that was that was more. their best spell. I've got you know a five game mm. rolling average of their um, expected goal difference here, and that was the peak of the season. Was was mm. that run that Forest, I, Rotherham, Swansea, Derby, Preston, and I. We we get we decided to it was a it was a strategy so that we could talk about the things they were proven. I even remember texting Dave Frelfall Sykes and saying, "Don't be alarmed, but we've given them a massive kick in two games in, but it's deliberate because we want to then talk about all the positives." The problem was it was it was more or less it was that that press losing two one to Preston at home and then losing two one to Birmingham away really knocked the wind out yeah. of their sails. And they never really quite recovered from that. They had that really good spell in November and December when Carol Eitin was playing really well and running the show, to be perfectly honest with and you. And Gromo was scoring for fun as well. Yeah, yeah. But then, the, since the turn of the year, I mean, they've won three games of football in 2020. Yeah. And that's... 2021. I mean, yeah. you, 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 you... Sorry, 2021. They, that, that's not... You can't... Me and you can't dress that up as good or like... We always try to sort of be an analytical and we try to look for like underlying reasons and why something is what it is me and you can't make a case that that's that's a good end to the season I mean it really has been the other thing is some of the games as well have been let's be honest pretty awful to watch and that is the opposite of what he you know Corbyn and his more than some second half have been bought in they they were allegedly bought in because they were going to improve the style and they were going to do everything they did before but it was now going to be a lot more fun and it hasn't been like that so I think there are caveats for it I don't want to say the word COVID but I'm going to say the word COVID but at the same time this this season really has to be a baseline doesn't it It, 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 literally everything has to go up from from how literally from the goalkeeper being a bit better and helping them out a bit more all the way through the team to the striker contributing more and scoring literally every area has got to go up a notch yeah absolutely and the flip side of that the defense has been woeful worst defense in the division this year 71 goals conceded in the league which is Far too many goals. <laughs> uh, I've I've checked that with leading uh, goal scientists, and they have confirmed that is way too many goals. I mean, the number of opportunities they give up—it's completely the opposite of of the attack. You know, the yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at again, not to bang on about xG. They've had an xG above two twice this season. Uh, they've had an expected goals against of above two ten times this season. Um, you know, they've they've had the 7-0, which is their worst defeat in 34 years. They've had the 5-0 at Bournemouth. They've had the 5-0 at Blackburn. Um, 5-2. Uh, sorry, yeah, the 5-2 at Blackburn. Um, and... Uh, and those are sort of the, just sort of the spikes in what is an overall pretty abysmal trend. There's been plenty of other games where they've, you know, they've absolutely had it handed to them. Um, and it's just, it's fundamental errors. We've talked about it all season and maybe this is one we don't even need to dwell on because I think it's self-evident. The number of errors they make in possession to give away chances, the number of um, balls into the box they fail to deal with. They've had an ongoing issue with players getting into the, you know, around defending the corners of the box because they've not been handing over properly between the centre-back and the full-back. No one seems to know whose responsibility it is. Um, They've just had 
endless problems in defence. And, yeah, they've had... For all we've complained about the attack, we want to see that improve because if they want to be... If they want to go up the table, they need to improve that. But as far as a bottom-half team goes, their attack has not been horrendous. But their defence has been. And, yeah, that has to change. And I think that is personnel as much as style because if they're going to stick with the style or and i'm sure there will be adaptations made corbran has learned um but if they are going to stick with broadly the same style they have to have players that are able to play it yeah they do but i think one of the things that has slightly frustrated me this season defensively is the amount of chopping and changing and i don't just mean personnel if i'm honest i think there are times where they've played quite a flat four there are times where it's been a four but both both fullbacks have basically played as wingbacks and it's Hog has dropped in to make a three, which I don't like because I think it leaves you really exposed. Just ask Blackburn's analysts. Um, there's been times where it's been a three. I don't know. I I think they've got to be a lot more defensively stable and consistent, if I'm honest. They can't... The more they've tried, the worse it's got. I mean, as I said, we can't... <laughs> Me and you cannot dress up the fact that they've conceded more goals than anybody else in this division. Um, and I, I think that, I, it, again, it's just that same thing, Steve. They've got so many problems they've got to solve in literally every area. But defensively, yeah, they, they I think signings will help there, though, Steve. Uh, you're right, personnel is a big thing, but also just stability. Having a, a year back four, having Toffolo and Pippa fully fit from the start of the season, I was... I was glad both were rested for that last game of the season because I think I don't think Toff is fully fit and I don't think Pippa was fully no, fit. Definitely so not. No. a good pre-season will will go a long way there. Um, and I think we it's worth saying defensively we've barely mentioned him, but there was a big part of this season where me and you were looking at each other every time Navi Sar was on the team sheet and going, okay, that's where the first goal comes from. He has improved. He's had a good finish to the season. He is actually one player on this terrible run that you really couldn't apply much fault to. Um, and I think as long as he can keep that up and not revert to the <laughs> to the SAR that used to make us both sit there with like gripping onto the desk when there's five minutes to go and it's a very, very tight game, I think that would go a long way as well because I think he is starting centre-back next season. It's it's Whoever comes in is definitely partnering SAR, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, well, you would think so. I mean, he's he's still had the odd games, and I think, but I think the the games where he's been exposed. You mentioned Blackburn there, and I think mm. that was absolutely. I mean, that was the game where I really went for Corbran after it, to be honest, because I thought that the system the, was just awful. completely wrong. Yeah, completely wrong, and that's not his fault. We, you know, what Naby Sar can and can't do, yeah. and. Yeah, to set up like that for that game was was they literally played really, into his weaknesses. Yeah, 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 they did. <laughs> Which is is like I again, I don't know if you can confirm with your goal scientist, but I don't think that's a good thing. Um, but I think at the start of this season he would have a bad game every sort of two or three, and yeah. I think he has reduced that, as you say. I think that that period's got a lot longer. Yeah, he still had bad games, but I mean. He has had long, longer spells exactly uh, between his bad games, um, which is encouraging to see. And he's another player, as you say, who sort of throughout 
March and February in particular, I think he was. It's difficult to to say he was, you know, the problem at, at the club. And mm. we're both, you know, big fans of Romani Edmonds Green, but I think you and I would both admit he he is still quite raw. Um, and I, he's been bullied. He's yeah, been bullied he by a few strikes, and he's got to he's got to get over that, and he's got to got to toughen up. Uh, Lucas Shaw absolutely ran him racked in that yeah. home game against Reading. Yeah, um, but I. Like I think he's a very intelligent young footballer, and I think I think he's learnt a lot from this season, and I think he'll come back better better for it. I think there's a reason that Carlos Corbran likes him, and you know has given him a fair bit of football. To be fair, but I do I do uh, you know I know I love him, and I am melting a slight defence. But he was another one I think who just played too much football in a very short space of time and ended up blowing up. Yeah, and I think. I think you're right. I think having having better stability next season, whatever system they use, would be helpful. Um, but I also think there's there's games where you want sort of uh, you know two big against your Cardiff. Yeah. You want you two or three big you know bully and back. Yeah, a Sar and Stearman type back. thing. And there's other games like Blackburn where you want the opposite, and you want an Edmund Green who is more of a foot based defender than an aerial defender. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, you are. That's that's the thing. You want you want a consistent system, but that you can adapt from game to game. Whereas a lot of towns' variation defensively this season has been fairly wild. It's been fairly extreme, and you can't like you can't make an extreme change and expect it to come off every single time. And I think that's one thing that, I mean, we've not really talked about Carlos Corver and Steve, to be honest with you. I was just thinking we need to next, really. I I think that's one of the things that, for me, has marked his inexperience a little bit. And I think towards the end of the season, it was was clear, there there was a certain point where I think it was fairly clear that everybody just wanted the season to end. (laughs) Just get Mm. safe, get it ended, and then try again next summer but there are a lot of things that you can point to and we can't really blame anyone other than the manager um town were on a very good little run november december and then he basically picked that side to go and lose at bournemouth and it it completely knocked the stuffing out of them um yeah they they well i think it's they actually had a good run of results after that broadly speaking but they I think, and we talked about this before, but I think that was definitely the game where he lost faith in a lot of those squad players. And I think that was the game where it was exposed, it was completely exposed just how unprepared a lot of those players who came into the team were. Likes of, yeah. likes of Jaden Brown extreme, and Alex Pritchard. And, I, I talked about in another pod about the fact he was just such an extremist and the extreme reaction yeah, exactly, to that exactly was, was to, yeah. to pick that same 11 players well, to the point where... They've had 40 different starting lineups this year and uh, there's only, which means there's only three lineups that he's used more than once. And one of them he used five times, and he used it five games in a row (laughs) between the Bournemouth game and the Reading game. Which then resulted in, over January and February, several of them just breaking. And that's the thing. I think... I, I've said it before on, on other podcasts, I know I'm repeating myself, but I think you have to look at the back end of this season, you have to apply some caveats, but you also have to say, okay, well, if we get our recruitment right over the summer, there has to be a target at five games, and if that's met, there has to be a target at ten games, I think you have to, the sort of switch to pragmatism, if they have to do that again next season at the same point, just to get over the line, again, we can't dress that up as progress. And we 
do try and look for the positives and we do try and be analytical and point out where there is a little silver lining but very very difficult to see any this season very very difficult now that it's finished and you look back every really sort of positive point you try and make there's a like a great big negative behind it mm. <laughs> twice the size and I think with Corbran himself I'm just hoping this season has been a huge learning curve and he comes back a bit different over the summer with a bit of a different mindset maybe I think he will I mean you mentioned they looked like they wanted the season to end and that was no one was that that more thrilled than Carlos Gorbran, who was. I mean, you could see the difference after that Coventry game in his uh, pre-match press conference for Reading and mm. his his uh, his post-match press conference after Reading. He seemed like a different man. You know, it, I wrote a piece last week, and it's true. I wasn't exaggerating. Halfway through this season, or yeah, halfway through this season, I think it was when I did the piece about his new contract. I tried to find a picture of him smiling to put on the the piece, and I couldn't find one. Like and that was after they'd had a good half of the season, uh, and that pre-match press conference before Reading, he was finally sort of smiling and making little jokes. But he was also he wasn't being complacent at all. That was also the first press conference where he said, "Look, we've made mistakes, and yes, we've missed these players a lot more than than we wanted to let on because we didn't want to make excuses, kind of thing." Um, and he's admitted that he made mistakes, and he said that you know some of the the criticism that has come his way and comes to club come the club's way has been completely fair and I know that he was obviously part of Pielsa's backroom staff and it's not like he's come into this you know he's he's not a complete virgin in this division Um, but it is a different thing being a head coach and and having to make those decisions is the thing and and I think there are decisions that he made that he wouldn't make now I don't think he would do what he did against Bournemouth ever again now Um, I don't think he would take the same approach against Blackburn ever again now I think you and I have both been unconvinced on Carlos at various points this season um but I think there have been enough and I said this a few weeks ago even after I sort of you know stated him after Blackburn I think there were still enough positives in that first half of the season and enough mitigation from the amount of injuries they had in the second half of the season that it's worth saying well look give him the summer and see if he can do again at the start of next season what he did at the start of this season because I think if they if they strengthen the squad significantly enough that even if they were to have the same injury crisis again which they won't because no club is going to have the injury problems they had this season uh, because of the fixture calendar etc but even if they were to have another major injury crisis that their drop off is not as extreme as it has been the second half of this yeah. season um, so I can un- that's the word though that's that, that's the, the word I keep coming back to it's just with Carlos this season everything has been so extreme it's either start of the season everything was absolutely brilliant then when the wheels came off it was absolutely awful there was the extreme reaction by picking that side against Bournemouth and then the extreme reaction to pick the same people five teams in a row the injury crisis completely extreme the wheels coming off in January and February completely extreme even when they go and win a game it's 4-1 yeah Uh, yeah you know and then you have the extreme switch from from trying to play passing football to the really pragmatic style just to get over the line. You have the extremes of losing 7-0 and then the 5-2 at Blackman. That's really what has got to stop. There's got to be much... You can't... like The problem is, it's been an absolute roller coaster, but not on the pitch. 
and you can take it being a roller coaster on the pitch because that's the highs make you excited you know and when the lows come you think well yeah but think how good the highs can be the problem is this season it's just been like say lurching from one extreme to the other and it just needs to all be a bit more settled and a bit more focused next season for me and simple we've talked about it before steve simplify it you know let players play don't give them sort of two and a half roles to think about as they're doing it yeah agreed um we should try and find some positives, I suppose. <laughs> no, um, Josh Karoma, his emergence, obviously, has been huge. And um, we'll talk about him in more detail because we've still got one more thing to, to cover. Um, but I think his emergence has been a real, real positive this season. Uh, I think, uh, and we'll, we'll run through a few individuals, so we'll, we'll try and get away from that. But I think, as I mentioned, that first half of the season does feel like it's not a complete lost cause. Because if they can go through a, a full pre-season, because they only had sort of four weeks last year, remember, um, and a couple of key players were missing from that, like Lewis O'Brien, um, if they can get through a full pre-season, a normal pre-season, and have a kind of calendar next year, I think there is still reason to hope that they can uh, they can get off to a good start next season. Yeah, I think definitely. I think the, like COVID has been a huge factor this season. It's it's. The schedules come thick and fast. Pre-season was compressed. Uh, the transfer market was utterly useless in the summer and utterly useless in January, to be honest, for, for loads and loads of clubs. Getting some level of normality, I think, is going gonna, is gonna to go a long way. It's going to help a lot. But the, the, the caveat to all of that is that, and I know we're on the positive section here, is that there's all the other things that have, have got to be solved. I think there are clubs that can blame an awful lot more on COVID than Huddersfield Town can. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think just having a normal season will be will be a huge boon for everyone at the club next season, not just the coaching staff. But I think... Th- I think the other positive that we have to we have to talk about, Steve, is we have seen glimpses of what it could be. This is the thing. There have That's been I mean, yeah. moments, there have been goals, there have been those little chinks of light that show you what could be. And you just hope that... I mean, like... <laughs> Town can't be as bad next season because if they are, they'll be relegated. There, there's no ifs or buts or maybes. They, they will be relegated. So it has to improve from here, and the, the improvement will come from getting back to that. Um, yeah, I, I, the, the one thing that annoys me about the championship is that every single team you play always looks a tough fixture. <laughs> home or away so I think it's less about the fixtures and just more about just getting a little bit more consistency and not having these wild extremes of losing four losing two losing three all these these bad runs just having you spoke about it before Steve just having that consistency of points over a four game run yeah. is massive you know if if you if you can get to the point where you take two wins and a draw out of four every four games then you're in the playoffs yeah yeah you mentioned COVID there and the effect that's had i think that is probably sort of the biggest positive is just they've got through it now <laughs> you know yeah. the, we talked about it a bit last week but this season really for town was all about just getting through it and uh, phil hodgkinson basically said as much back in october that you know that they they knew they couldn't invest massively um last summer because the budget was limited they still had players on big wages who needed 
to, to they needed to shift out of the club and it was just about getting through the season and getting to this summer which is where the real rebuild is going to begin and which sort of ties into the other sort of positive which is I think I think the club have learned a lot from this season I think they were probably a bit over optimistic about the contribution that some of the younger players were going to be able to make I think it speaks volumes that that we've not seen much of likes of um of Matty Daly in the second half of the season, Josh Osterfield, um, you know the, the you know even Jaden Brown, D'Amico Dehaney have have been released now, who were probably two of the ones you would have said were more ready for for action at this level. And I think the fact that those two have, have both gone sort of tells you that they're ready to move on from from this now. I think the players that they wanted to bring through and had the best chance of bringing through have come through at least you know Schofield and Edmund Screen have both started a lot of games this season Scott High and Kieran Phillips have have appeared off the bench Aaron Rowe has as you know has, has contributed as well so I think they know the players that are the young players that they had from last year's crop that were able to contribute and those players are going to be staying on and will be part of the squad for next season and I think the players that were have proven not to be quite ready for championship football yet it's not to say they can't get there eventually but yet um, will probably not be part of the squad for next season from from what I gather they do want to, to add strength in depth and um, and they're now in a better position to do it and you know you look at what's happening at Derby at the moment they're looking at getting a points deduction for financial irregularities their only hope at the moment they've, they've had struggled to pay their players their only hope is is uh, a takeover from a man who has a bit of a sketchy track record shall we say um, and I think there is a world you said Dave last week where town end up looking quite smart for for having taken this approach and time will tell whether that will actually happen or whether when we get crowds back in fan clubs will just keep spending as they always have and and town will will not feel the benefit of having done what they've done this season but i think i think realistically they had to and i think hopefully they will now be stronger for having done that yeah you'd hope so i think that this season really was one to get through in between december january and february Town played 20 games in 60-odd days. Um, that situation is not going to be repeated next year, and that automatically gives you a bit more time on the training pitch. And when you've got young lads that you want to bring through, that helps as well, to be honest with you, because everything is not a stress situation all the time. So I don't know how the next couple of years goes in the Championship, but I do feel like there's potentially a reckoning coming to some clubs. That, that figure of, of Reading's wage to turnover, that 211%, is shocking to me. Absolutely shocking. And I know FFP has gone out of the window for a little bit because of COVID, but it goes to show you how far along the line some clubs are. I look at Bristol, who don't generate massive amounts of income. They have a gargantuan wage bill. They've gone and got a manager now permanently who is expensive and is expecting more investment over the summer. It doesn't feel like the Championship can just carry on doing that all the time. And keep trying to keep their noses clean and trying to just do enough for a season I think could stand town in good stead the problem is what is going to be a really really tough sell to the fans is if next season is the same because it's not exciting it's it's not it's it's just trying to do enough 
and it's not even like the football's massively attrition or anything like that but just trying to do enough is is a very difficult sell but yeah there's there, I do feel there's a very interesting time coming over the next couple of years and town could out, end up on the right side of history one way or another but we'll we'll see yeah we will see it's um yeah as you say i think you're absolutely right that they can't have another season like like this season or like last no. season they have to they have to show some signs of progress next year and i think annoyingly we're now at the same position here that we would have said last year which is they need a, a boring season finish somewhere between 10th and 14th and mm. not be in any trouble don't worry about relegation at any point um shows with a few highs along the way as well yeah. you know go and beat a <laughs> go and beat a norwich or a, a watford or whoever is their equivalent once in the season and you know, bang for past someone. At least the thing un- under the cowl is I know there were loads of problems and all that sort of thing, and we hate the f- the fact that people refer back to that period. But the one thing I would say is you did have like the Charlton game and the Bristol game, etc. And it'd be good to have a couple of them next season where it it town just are in complete control because even the four one against Swansea, really that was down to that bonkers second half. It wasn't like town were in control of a. We, we went through it at the time, and all four minutes. goals, there was like a slice of luck or something, one in yeah. a million coming off kind of thing. And the closest they've been is that that Millwall three 0 away, yeah. but even then it was two goals really late on that put the seal and, on and it. And the second It'd one was be... uh, was the keeper dropping it into its own net, basically. Yeah, it would just be really nice to have a couple of games next season where you just go. They played really well start to finish, deserve their 3-0 win. Looking forward to watching them next week. Yeah, exactly. And I, I can totally understand fans being completely disenchanted at the moment. You know, there's been a lot of talk. Season tickets, it's always a big talking point at this time of year. And, you know, I, I sort of poked a bit of fun earlier, but I totally get people who wouldn't, who would be reluctant to renew their season tickets based on what they've seen over the last six months. Um, and mm. why you might want to hold fire on that and maybe give it the first couple of games and see where they get to. Um, I would say <laughs> if you want to support the club, it's obviously the best way you possibly can. But I could understand as well why from a, do I actually want to put myself through this every Saturday after or every other Saturday afternoon? Um, you, you might decide but, um, not it, to. You have to say the word again, don't you? you know covid is a yeah. is a big yeah. factor people there are lots of people who haven't got the same amount of money in their pocket for one thing there are lots of people whose habits have changed um that's that's quite an interesting aspect to it and there are lots of people who are nervous as well of going back into a ground with fans there not not everyone just wants a jab in their arm and everything goes back to normal overnight so there are a lot of factors in it and people um, need more convincing don't they than than, than yeah. even they normally would yeah. yeah you're right it's not just about i mean a lot of it is about what town have been over the last and if, couple of years but it's not a trivial decision for a lot of people is it and the, like the fine margins are Town beat Forest 2-0 away. And then if they'd have gone and got something against Barnsley at home, done all right against Blackburn away, beat Coventry at home like we expected and beaten Reading at home, uh, beaten Reading on the last day of the season in the dead rubber, suddenly everyone's excited again. <laughs> and suddenly everybody feels really up for it. It's the fact it's just ended with yet another sort of... Ugh, that is, is, it is difficult for us to sit here and give it the hard sell. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, we have a player of the season as well. Just literally, as we're recording this, the poll is about to go up on our website. 
Um, it's a difficult one this year. People have, you know, been asking me who I think is is going to win it, and um, well, I have. I think there's there's one contender who I think probably just about stands out, but um, mm. there's a few. It's been a weird season because I think at, at various points we'd have said, <laughs> "Oh, Harry Toffolo should be play- is going to be player of the season." Oh, uh, Isaac Mbenzer is a contender now, or Jonathan Hogg is now in the lead for mm. it, or Lewis O'Brien's finished the season really well, or Pippa has, you know, Pippa. Yeah, yeah. There's been a few who who have been in the conversation at various points. Um, I think we're going to run through a couple of the contenders each. So the way the poll is going to work uh before you wouldn't ask <laughs> message us asking why Janelia Bakuna is in there or why Richard Coe is in there we just put up every player who is uh who has played a, a thousand minutes or more in all competitions this year Be- for exactly that reason because try to pick a short list of six would have been I think we can get to sort of three or four and then when you're on five or six suddenly it's like well if we're including them we're going to have to include these three others as well um, but we've picked a couple of players each who I think you and I would like to make the case for. Who have you gone for first, Dave? Well, I, I think it's important to say that this really it is, because of the nature of the season, really it is player who had the best spell for the longest time, <laughs> rather than player of the season. That's what it feels like anyway. And the first one I'd mention is, is Toffolo, who for the first couple of months of this season was was really, really good. And his role had changed because he had been the, the sort of out-and-out adventurous option. And it became clear to us fairly, well, fairly early on. I mean, remember he did that man-marking job on Campwell in the first game of the season against Norwich. It became fairly obvious that Pippa was going to step in and do the sort of false 10 role. And Toffolo was going to be tasked with being slightly more defensive but he was just he was just brilliant for that first couple of months um just mr consistent never made a mistake never does anything wrong never below a sort of seven out of ten and the problem was he he was quite obviously carrying that injury for a while wasn't he that was that was the reality because he did drop off and it's clearly an injury that affected him at, at the sort of highest range of his his energy because it it did feel like his energy dropped and when he got that red card against Luton it, it felt like ultimately it was <laughs> it was quite a good thing in a way because he'd not missed a minute since he joined the club he hadn't missed a minute and, since he joined Lincoln <laughs> in yeah, the league exactly yeah. and it, it was like the minute the suspension came up it was like all right now I can be injured yeah. I mean he'd missed <laughs> no. minutes but he hadn't missed a start yeah yeah no so I think he finished. Listen, he came back before the end of the season, but I think clearly he's still not quite right and needs a bit more rest. He's now going to get it over pre-season, and he will, if he's fit, I'm positive he will start every available game next season. Yeah. Well, you've taken one of mine, so I'm going to take one of yours. If this is how we're doing it, I can't. <laughs> hang on, can't remember who I spoke to. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, I'll uh, I'll make the case for Josh Caroma in that case, which is a strange one because it's. Um, He's obviously missed over half the season, but he's also been the top scorer. Uh, You know, he scored eight goals and uh, he's been at times borderline unplayable. He was still, at the time he was injured, um, pretty much their leading player in terms of the number of shots he'd taken. He was their leading player in terms of the number of shots on target he'd had. Um, And from just 20 starts and one appearance off the bench um he's finished as as town's top scorer and he's 
it's i think people forget almost that that i don't think anyone expected quite this level out of him i think there was sort of a quiet hope that he might um be able to sort of step up and and get um some way towards replacing carlan grant but i don't think anyone expected that he would step into those shoes and basically go on the same kind of goal scoring form that that carlan grant was on you know he's he scored what is that that's seven goals he scored in his last 12 appearances and that includes the spell out where the four month spell out where he's come back and as you said on the post-match show not look like he's he's mr b or mr step so yeah he's he's been such a an important player for town this season and you can't count out the the importance of some of the goals that he scored that have have made a, a crucial difference for town you know the the goal against Swansea you know the goals against Queen's Park Rangers and Sheffield Wednesday which I know that they were sort of routine wins in the end but you know he's he really has made the difference between um relegation and not uh in terms of his goals and i think that is important to a lot of people regardless of the fact that he's missed over half the season yeah i mean eight eight goals out of 20 league games expand that across the season and and there is your 15 goal plus striker isn't it and that that does make a huge difference and the the fact that the pro- the problem is like you don't have to look too far down the goal scoring chart before you get to Nabi Sar on four <laughs> and that really sums up how important Karoma has been this season and I think we are we're not saying this with the benefit of the hindsight we both said last season that we thought he was a project definitely worth sticking with he he has got you sit there now uh, thinking about him next season supplemented with a few around him in the squad and he could potentially be a, a genuinely another breakout player at Huddersfield Town as Lewis O'Brien has been as Carlin Grant was so it's he he is one to genuinely be excited about genuinely be excited about the highest compliment I can pay him is when he lined up that free kick against Reading I knew that was going in I absolutely knew that was going in before it it even left his boot so yeah very very positive season who are you going for for your next one um lewis o'brien it's it's an obvious one um and again i come back to the sort of players who've had good spells really because he started the season in probably his worst form in a town shirt um he, he wasn't good for a few months he really was by his own standards um, i think yeah, yeah by his own standards um but i think he was also struggling a little bit with the system i think he didn't quite know what his role was and i think i think lewis o'brien likes definition i'll come back to that thing about keeping it a bit more simple I think he likes to know what he's supposed to be doing at any one time. And when he sort of grasped it, he has finished the season really with sort of two and a half months of looking, gradually working his way back to being the Lewis O'Brien that we we sort of know and love really, including having his best game at left back, which is not his position and he should never play there ever again. Um, So yeah, I... As I said, it's difficult to really like sort of say, oh, anybody's just had put together a perfect season, but he has finished. He he looks he looks like Lewis O'Brien again, yeah. and that is that has been hugely important towards the back end of this season to to get Town over the line. In truth, yeah, I feel like the Bristol City game, the end of January, which was a weird game. Town absolutely battered Bristol City in that game and just couldn't couldn't mm. get the ball in the net. Um, that is the one game where you would say the finishing let them down. Um, but that was the game where he suddenly seemed to be back at his best because he'd been sort of mm. pretty so so. 
uh, up till that point, you know, I'm looking at the play ratings here. It's mostly sort of five, six, couple of sevens. That was his first eight of the season. That was on 26th of January. And then he's had several of them after that. And one of them, I would say, the one against Brentford, I should have given him a nine. And I said it pretty much straight yeah. after the game. I was uh, a bit a bit too harsh on him there. But um, And that Brentford game was the one where he went, oh, do you know what? There's playing like that against a team of that quality who are potentially heading for the Premier League. They've been up in, you know, pushing the automatic promotion uh, over the last couple of years. And for him to have been easily the best player on the pitch, that was the game where you go, uh, they're probably going to lose him this summer um, because mm. he's he's not just too good for Huddersfield Town at this point, potentially. Uh, I think he might be too good for this division. Um, and... You know, as you said earlier, it's not a foregone, foregone conclusion, uh, and really, really hope we get to see him again next season. But you wouldn't be surprised if he was sort of the subject of a bit of a, a bidding war this summer. Um, and and would if to get he that goes, move. if he goes, he's going for serious money. Yes. that's that's the thing. So you can't really you can't really grumble at that. Um, if he stays, as I said, I think you've got one of the you got a player who was at the very upper end of the talent scale in that division. So yeah, he's he's easily for me been their best player second half of the season by a mile. Yeah, comfortably. Um, yeah, and uh, my final one is uh, is Jonathan Hogg. So you mentioned earlier, it's sort of it's not about who's had the best spell, and I think that Jonathan Hogg's sort of peaks have not been as high as Toffolo's in the first half of the season or Karoma's first half of the season or O'Brien's in the second half of the season but I think if you're looking at the season as as a whole he has been a good player throughout the whole season um he he has he had a particularly I thought excellent spell was it sort of November December he was just yeah absolutely running games and his his stats was just off the charts. He's, he was like the highest passing midfielder in the division. Yeah, and so accurate, so unerring. He's, you know, he's. We know that he's, you know, he's worn the captain's armband for most of the season, um, and he's rarely had poor games. Um, I didn't think he finished the season super well against Reading. Actually, I thought that no. was that was actually one of his his worst. Uh, he wasn't good. He wasn't good against Blackburn either. No. So he's he's had a, a couple of of off games at the very very end of the season, but I think by and large he's he's been perhaps Town's best player. If you were doing it as sort of the over the course of the whole season, he has been consistently better than most of his teammates in most of the games, and he's never won Player of the Year before, which is strange. I imagine if we looked back at the voting, he's probably been second, third, or fourth. Yeah, pretty yeah. much every year. Yeah. Um, but he's never won it before, and. I think he's he's 32 now and and still you know playing playing at, at, at the level that that we've come to expect of him if not a bit better um and he's added to his game I think he looks more comfortable on the ball I think previously you would have said um that he's you know great off the ball and and a bit limited on it but I think he has added to his game on the ball this mm-hmm. season he has always had that that ball across the wings to be fair when I look back at an old game I watched the the uh, the old uh, the 2-0 against Fulham, the 2-0 defeat against Fulham from a few years ago recently, from 2015. And I noticed he was still doing the that crossfield ball out to the wings then. So I think he's always had that in his locker. And um, maybe we do sort of overlook his, his work on the ball at times. But I think people have noticed it this season. Uh, and I think he's got a very, very strong case for player of the year this year. We're recording it on the day of his assist uh, for Troy Deeney in go. the mad game against Leicester. Yeah, so a header. Maybe, and he maybe, scored a header maybe, this season as well. 
maybe play him as a 10 next year. He played as a but 10 as a I youth think... player, didn't he? he was, was he top scorer yeah. in Villa's academy one year, which is but crazy to think. I We talked about him a lot first half of the season because he was... Um, he'd changed his game, to be frank, hadn't he? He'd, he'd really evolved his game, so... Um, I think, it, yeah, he hasn't finished brilliantly, but I think he is suffering like lots and lots of players who've played lots and lots of minutes are with the fact he's just really, really tired. Um, he's played, I think he's played 37 games in the league and he's started every one he's been available for. I don't think he's I don't think he's been on the bench, has he? Uh, no, not as far as I'm aware. So he, he's a vital part of this team and this season, as you say, he has adapted and he has evolved a little bit. And I, we're making a case for the others both of us knowing really the answer is Jonathan Hogg. <laughs> We're asking a question we know the answer to anyway. Yeah, I, I do feel though that this this vote could be interesting because, yeah, mm. I'm not sure which way it's it's going to go. Um, Might be a bit of recency bias. In yeah, it. this is it. Um, or a bit of goal bias. But yeah, I mean, for me, when we mentioned earlier that midfielder struggled uh, to get going at times this season, but I think... There have been games where he has almost single-handedly got it ticking over because you think about, I think, that, that Millwall game away, the, the 3-0 that we mentioned earlier, he was phenomenal in that game. and um, Or the the game against Luton uh, the week after that as well. He was excellent in that. And I think when other players have sort of let the side down, he is... He has been there um, and he has been trying to get things going and try. Uh, he has been that gap between the the defense and the midfield that that they have struggled with. You know, we we going back to sort of the end of the Premier League era, we were talking about how they struggled to make up that gap between defense and attack. And when Town were at their best in the first half of the season, that was always him playing that role. Yeah, um, he wasn't just sort of sitting sitting deep and and keeping it tidy. He was actually helping to build the play and offering an, an out ball and and doing all the things you want to see from a player in that position. He was and I I think that, like playing with Carolighting next to him so he could he was I mean I hate to use the phrase but you go back to Didier Deschamps doing the water carrying for him. I think actually really suited town as well and that was when they for me when they looked at their absolute best this season. Those two players were a huge part of that. I think if Carol Lighting had stayed fit, I think we'd possibly be talking about Carol Lighting being player of the season. I think realistically, you, everyone talks about Josh Caroma, but he was—he's been such a part of the good stuff that Huddersfield Town have done this season, the memorable stuff. That it's just such a shame that he broke down like he did. Yeah, it's been him coming back into the side, and he's not—I mean, Corbrand has even said he felt he hasn't really got to his level since he's gone back. But I thought mm. that was seeing him off the bench on a couple of games recently it was like oh my god this is what we've been missing um you know you, you sort of almost got used to them not having that player so when you see him in the side it's like oh wow this is what it's like to have a quality <laughs> a quality yeah. midfielder in the final third um you, you know ball playing midfielder so um and i think there's others you could make a case for i thought pippa started the season really strongly as well um as did, did Toffolo um, and uh, and Isaac and Benz's numbers again we talked about it earlier seven assists five goals and he's dipped second half of the season but similar to Pepper he's had that injury problem and there's there's sort of reasons behind that so I think there are a few 
contenders there. Um, but I would agree with you if I were casting my vote. And please don't let what we're saying sort of uh, inform or override what what you think. But uh, yeah, I think we would both go for Jonathan Hogg. We would confirm. Lovely. Oh, flipping heck, Dave. We're coming up on two hours on the recording session. Little edit. Hang on, mate. Hang on. Someone's not. Oh, we're almost there. Mate, my Sainsbury's delivery is here, <laughs> and there's no one else in, so I need to just go and grab it. Uh, yeah, right, we'll, uh, thank you for joining us. Silver Linings is out now, isn't it? Bobby Robson's England. It is. Have a lovely summer. Magic, <laughs> you go now, and I'll wrap this up. See you then. Uh, yes, thank you to everyone as well for joining us uh, over the, uh, over the, uh, the season. Uh, it's been great having all your feedback and Dave is much better at saying thank you to everyone on social media than me um, but no really do appreciate all the support and kind messages and for listening uh, I think we are going to do a transfer special in a couple of weeks time uh, I'm, I'm taking next week off as Dave has mentioned um, but I'll be back after that and we'll we'll do I think we're looking at getting Matt Shaw from Andy takes that chance to join us as he did last summer and we'll look through the uh, the transfer plans and yeah thank you to everyone I hope you've enjoyed the podcast over the season despite things on the pitch and we hope you've enjoyed today's episode as well oh and if you make sure you uh, if you see the the prompt for the newsletter as well on our site sign up to that because if we do have any sort of big days for transfers or the retained list or anything like that you know we had a special newsletter went out yesterday uh carrying the stuff about christopher schindler for instance so we do it isn't just a drop of uh of of all the stories from the site that you've seen already uh we do do special newsletters as well if you want to sign up for that Boot to me, uh, boot to me,